All right, if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 10. And if you have a Red Pew Bible, we will be on page 846. We're right in the middle of Mark chapter 10 this morning, verses 23 through 31. And if you were with us last Sunday, this is a continuation of where we were last Sunday. So Mark chapter 10, verse 23 through 31. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak to us through it. We believe that you are alive and that you work today. And so even if it is not particular the scripture that is speaking to us, we know that your spirit is working through each individual here. And may you bless us, God, to be tools to help encourage and equip people to go about doing work in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to quickly uh, go back to verse 17 and just read a few of those verses just to give us a background into kind of uh, what uh, Pastor Steve has read. And so let's start in verse 17. I'm just reading through to verse 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It does seem like there are many more options for people who have a lot of money. And we know that money opens up opportunities for people. And generally speaking, I think we can all see that this is true, whether it is in healthcare, education, travel and leisure, most areas of our life, the rich tend to have more opportunities. Those possibilities provide access to choices many of us don't even have the decision to make because it's not even a selection that's right in front of us. But the kingdom of God cannot be bought. It cannot be accessed with money. And so last week we took a look at verses 17 through 22 about the rich young ruler. Today we'll finish up this story through verse 31. And the rich young ruler's story began with this question in verse 17. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Perhaps he used the word inherit because that's how he became rich. Maybe he was familiar with the term and that he felt that eternal life would also be something inherited since he was a Jew. 
We know that from different scholars that most likely when they say he is a ruler, he's a ruler of a synagogue. And so maybe this is what's going on through his head. And his question about eternal life seems to be a good one in that it is a heavenly-minded question, but we can tell he didn't fully understand the grace of God because he asked, what must I do? And by the time we read verse 22, we see that he went away very sorrowful. Now why? Because he couldn't let go of his great possessions and follow Jesus. Now, this is not to say that this is something for everyone to do, that this is a universal truth that everyone who has money needs to sell everything and give to the poor and follow Jesus. That instruction was, I believe, for this particular guy. And for you and me, it may be money, but it could be a number of other idols that we are to let go of and follow Jesus. But we all probably know how challenging it can be to let go of our money and our possessions, even though some of us may not have all that much of it. But we're probably somewhat familiar with how difficult it can be to let go of money. It's, it's something many people can relate to, and it's as good of an example as any to illustrate idolatry and a substitute God. So here we have someone who believed he could have anything he wanted, whether he could buy it or work his way into getting it, but found out that it was not so with eternal life. He could not do that with eternal life. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Whatever we are banking on to save our lives other than Jesus... That's a false idol. We're going to have to lose whatever it is that is holding us back, holding on to that false God, and this is not anything new that Jesus spoke about. Ever since the beginning of his ministry, back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it's been the same message. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The rich young ruler knew that the time was fulfilled. He knew that the kingdom of God was at hand, but he didn't repent. He didn't change directions. He didn't turn away from covetousness, from idolatry, which were, which were commandments Jesus did not mention when he mentioned those other commandments that he kept in verse 9, 19. Jesus gave him the opportunity to repent and believe in the gospel. But accepting Jesus' opportunity meant relinquishing other opportunities, something he wasn't willing to do to enter the kingdom of God, which is what we'll take a closer look at this morning. Entrance into the kingdom of God. And the reason why we want to look at that is it's a repeated phrase. We see this in verses 23, 24, and 25. Enter the kingdom of God. So what is this all about? Mark is pointing out how someone inherits eternal life. How someone gets saved or enters the kingdom of God. Eternal life is not merely describing quantitatively life. It is also describing qualitatively what that eternal life is. It's not just eternity in terms of a time. It's also living in the fullness of God to experience Fully what joy is, fully what peace is, fully what love, kindness, and goodness are. To enter the kingdom of God, not something we earn, something we achieve, but rather it is a gift. And we see that the rich young ruler does not understand this. Someone who could probably achieve anything. Someone who was looking to do something to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. And what we see is a wealthy, young, heavenly-minded, enthusiastic, reverent, powerful man, and he looks like an ideal candidate. But he left away sorrowfully. Now you notice he didn't leave in a hissy fit, or he didn't leave angrily or defiantly. He was sad. Now why? He knew Jesus was right. 
Luke recorded for us in Luke chapter 18, verse 24, Jesus seeing that he had become sad. Verse 23, Mark chapter 10. And Jesus looking around, looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus loved him, saw how wealth was an obstacle into him entering into the kingdom of God. Jesus, that, let's, let's look back at Mark uh, chapter 8 again, and this time to verses 36 and 37. It reads this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We're now in Mark chapter 10, and back in chapter 8, I wonder if this is a prophecy of this rich young ruler. At, At that moment, he went away sorrowful. He exchanged his soul for his possessions. And this is something that is happening today. People exchanging their souls for possessions. And if it's not possessions, it's some other idol. What Jesus showed was that entry into the kingdom of God, this is a a paradox. It it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our earthly terms to to enter into the kingdoms of the world. It's not the same way. When we look at entry into earthly kingdoms, they are based on power, influence, Fame, wealth, status, reputation, and that is not the way you enter into the kingdom of God. It is completely different. You jump ahead to verse 31, it'll give us an idea of how the kingdom of God works. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And this was extremely confusing to the disciples. Why is this? Because the thought in the ancient Jewish world was that You know, wealth, that is a sign of God's blessing. That is a sign that God has his hand on you. So someone like this rich young ruler was thought of very highly, that that God's hand was definitely upon this guy because look at him. He has everything that a person could ever want. Wealth, youth, good reputation, respectable, powerful, influential, religious, This guy has everything. Any young person would aspire to be as successful as this guy. Of course he's blessed by God. But then we read that he went away sorrowful. Verse 24, And the disciples were amazed at his words because this did not make sense to them. You know, we we thought that if someone like him, just came around, it was because God blessed him with everything that he has. And it's not so for this guy. And Jesus had more to say to his disciples. Verse 24, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And you see here that he referred to his disciples as children. And just a few verses before, he's talking about children. And I think Jesus referred to them as children because he just talked about them and being childlike, that we, like children, we can be naive. And in this matter, it would be very hard for us to understand how wealth could prevent us from entering the kingdom of God. Especially if looking at riches is a sign of favor and blessing from God. The Apostle Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy about the love of money in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And he wrote this, For the love of money is the root of all evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's a spiritual discipline in giving. In the giving of tithes and offerings is a spiritual discipline to help break us of that love of money. To help break us of covetousness. To help us see that the satisfaction riches brings us is a very temporary one. And it is very powerful in pulling us away from God. In Matthew 6 verse 24 It reads, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. Jesus referred to the disciples as children. Children who inherit the kingdom of God because they are dependent on God as opposed to someone who is independent of God, which riches can give this false sense of independence. Then Jesus gives an illustration of how impossible it is for someone who is independent, who is serving something or someone other than God to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we've been to Israel several times, and I don't know if any of you who have gone with us remember when we enter into the gate, uh, going into the old city, and the tour guide, if he does not believe in Jesus, will refer back to this and saying, so this is the gate that they're talking about, that there's this bigger gate and then there's this smaller gate because when it's nighttime, they close the big gate and it's only the small gate that's used for people to go in and out. And so what Jesus was talking about was the camel fitting into that small gate. It's really hard. The camel has to like bow down and go into and go in and that's why this, this eye of a needle, that's what, what it's referring to. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. The camel was the largest animal in the entire region. So I think Jesus points out camel for a particular reason. It's because Jesus is kind of funny. And Jesus chose the largest animal in the entire region. And he's thinking of the smallest kind of opening that he can think of. Like eye of a needle. Really small, right? Like it's very tiny. And so this is the picture that he's painting here. Like, Humongous animals, really small opening. So humanly speaking, this gigantic thing cannot fit into this. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And that's the reason why I think that he was talking about that. Because if we were talking about the entrance into the gate, like, it's possible. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. But with God for all things are possible with God. See, the grace of God is sufficient to save the lives of the rich. And that's evidence in the Bible. There's evidence all over the Bible. You look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, a wealthy tax collector in Jericho. And every time I mention Zacchaeus, that kid's song always pops into my head. I don't I just, we need to sing it for worship sometime. We're, but this is really interesting because Zacchaeus, chronologically speaking, happens after this. So Luke recorded the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18. The story of Zacchaeus is in Luke 19. Just to show it's possible with God. Right? And so Joseph of Arimathea, another very wealthy man who gave up his tomb to Jesus. Barnabas. So we have these wealthy people who have their hearts changed by encountering Jesus, who, who were led by Jesus, not their possessions, who recognized that entering the kingdom of God wasn't something that they could earn. Following Jesus is not on your own power or doing your best in changing your lifestyle or making these little tweaks here and there and fixing behaviors like becoming nicer and then adding a little bit of Jesus into the mix. It's all Jesus. Everything is Jesus. We inevitably change when Jesus changes us. That doesn't mean that we don't put any effort into our life. We do. But in the effort, we understand that it doesn't gain us entry into the kingdom of God. Jesus gifted us entry. He gave you a ticket. Like, I'm hoping one of you will give me a warrior's ticket. But anyway, <laughs> our efforts don't do that. Our efforts don't do that. Our efforts are a response to his gift. Just like my response to you if you gave me a warrior's ticket would be very, very grateful. They are in response to be imitators of Christ. But we don't do the Christian things thinking that that is how we inherit eternal life. Right, so we are to live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We are not dependent on our flesh. We are dependent on the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. 
but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In our flesh, in choosing to do things independently from God, of God, in having minds hostile to God, there's this built-up resentment towards God when we are in our flesh. And when there is a decision to pursue Jesus, we, we want to do it on our own terms. We, we start picking and choosing what we want like it's some sort of spiritual buffet. Like, I, I, I like this idea, so I'm going to take this. I don't like that, so I'm going to leave that. I just want this part of Jesus, but I don't want the entire part. I, 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 I want parts of these other gods, and I want parts of these other idols. And we think that we know what is best based off of our own reason. But if we live according to the flesh and we set our minds on the things of the flesh, won't we just be serving our flesh? The scriptures are reasonable. But sometimes people want to toss out the scriptures and solely rely on their own reason when the scriptures tell us that the mind is set on the flesh and is hostile to God and that those who in the flesh cannot please God. So why in the world would you completely rely on just reason? It's not reliable. Enter the kingdom of God is not by our own reason like that's like the rich young ruler who, who thought that he could earn his way into the kingdom of God. And just as he thought he could do something to gain entry, there are people today who rely on themselves, relying on their own reason to explain what is spiritual when their own reliance on their reason is actually fleshly. And that's not possible. People who rely on their own heart believing it is good and so the question is, are, 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 are our hearts really good? The prophet Jeremiah wrote in 17, verse 9, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful, not just a little, right? Above all things. That's a lot of things, all. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus said this about the heart in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, evil things, come from within, and they defile a person. Now hear this. Jesus was talking to religious people. Right? This is all, all towards religious people. He's not talking to people who don't have an idea of who God is. These are Pharisees. Mark 7, he was talking to the Pharisees. He was talking to church people. We're probably the ones who are the most arrogant and self-righteous. That think that we know it all who think that we're all good with God when we're really not. And then there are people who believe that people are born good, that there's no original sin, that if you ask them, they would say, no, I believe that all people are born good. I strongly disagree. Why is that? Because I've had four babies, and those suckers are sinful. And I didn't teach them that. I didn't teach him that. And if you don't believe me, you go serve in the infant toddler ministry for just the summer. Just the summer. And then you come back and tell me otherwise. Do it. Show him. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Go down there for the summer. See, as parents, you didn't teach your child to be covetous. Yet when you're there and you're down there, it comes out. I want what you have. I want what you have. It doesn't matter what it is, but I want it. It's, you don't have to teach them. It's there. 
You didn't teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them. They just do. They just do it. You don't teach them to steal. It just happens. That piece of gum that I had, and I come back, and it's not there anymore? What happened to my gum? And there's my child just chewing it. I don't know. <laughs> Lying and stealing and covetous all at the same time, just right there. And you know how I know that your children are sinful? It's not just mine. I know yours are too. Because this place has cameras all over. <laughs> Serious, like camera, camera. Like the children's ministry, cameras everywhere. So if you didn't know that, now you do. Okay? It's everywhere. Every room, every hallway has a camera. And our offices record everything. Everything. When OPD has something happening on these streets, who do they come to? Regeneration. Why? We have cameras. So you thought we didn't see, we saw. I'm just, I'm just waiting for our capital campaign to then approach you. And... But they are so adorable. Like, that much I give them. They're so adorable. They are beautiful. They are precious, wonderful, wonderful bundles of joy, but sinful. <laughs> They're sinful. We're sinful. That's who we are. We are sinful people. And, and the change is not simply a change in our behavior or our lifestyle change or, or this tweak here and this tweak here or what I say or what I stop saying. It is a change of heart because the heart is deceitful above all things. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. And so we need God to transform our hearts to give us new hearts. Like in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, mentions this, that God, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now keep Ezekiel chapter 36 in mind while we look at John chapter 3. When a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night because he didn't want to kind of show everybody that he was interested in following Jesus. And starting in verse 2 of chapter 3, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then Jesus in verse 5 says, truly, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Sound familiar to Ezekiel 6? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Ezekiel 6, John chapter 3. Ezekiel 6, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall become clean from all your uncleannesses and your idols I will cleanse you. John 3, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. John 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rule. John 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Do you hear that Ezekiel and John are in complete agreement? John uh, chapter 10 verse 27. Back to Mark. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God, for, not with God, for all things are possible with God. What's impossible? Dead hearts being brought to life. That life 
Life that isn't found in religion or behavior modification, lifestyle changes, it is found in Jesus who gives us a new heart. It's not changing externally how we do things that starts it all. How do we know Jesus has given us a new heart? We're different. That's, That's the simplest way I can put it is that we're not the same person we used to be. When Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He wasn't speaking of the external actions of taking a cross and following him. There there was a new heart given that made denying oneself possible. That Jesus was the better way in comparison to the idols one once held. And because of the new heart being born again, you follow him. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Oh, Peter. When will you learn just to be quiet and not talk? And what Peter said here wasn't even true. Because did he really leave everything? Because if he left everything, then what did he go back to when he denied Jesus and he went back to fishing? Like he went back to something. So he didn't leave everything. Right? He had a place in Capernaum with his extended family. And so it seems Peter was fishing for some affirmation from Jesus and just saying like, hey, Jesus, we left everything, right? Jesus said, truly, I say to you, There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Verse 31 must have rung so true for them because they just saw this rich young ruler go away sorrowful. It'll also ring true for them when Judas betrays Jesus and when they all scatter from Jesus when he gets arrested, only to find a short time later that this guy named Paul enters the scene. And the apostle Paul persecuted the early church. He gave the okay to the stoning of Stephen but he became a follower of Jesus. He became a leader of the early church. And so they were like the first adopters, right? These disciples, the first adopters to Jesus coming into town. And then all of a sudden, Paul. Who's that guy? He used to kill us. First will be last, and the last first. You see how Paul just kind of like shot to the front of the line? After all the mess that he was doing, how far he was from God. He was like killing people. He was imprisoning people. Last first. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a relatively short period of time, be encouraged. It's not like a union and it's based off of seniority, right? Like you're, you're good. The last can be first. Not, I'm not talking about bad about unions, okay? So don't, don't make it all political. I'm just saying, right? Just an illustration. So the kingdom of God is not based off of seniority or who's been there longer or anything like that. What, what you have been given is the same exact gift of grace as someone who has been journeying with Jesus their entire life for, for decades And you can be secure in your relationship with Jesus even if it hasn't been a long time. And so you see that the rich young ruler wasn't completely secure in his relationship with God because if he was, why would he ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't understand. And he asked because he was unsure and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that He walked away sorrowful because when he found out what he had to let go of, he couldn't. He couldn't let go of the things that kept him from inheriting eternal life. He couldn't let go of that covetousness and that idolatry. He didn't want to repent and change directions to follow Jesus and instead was following his flesh. And so this morning, 
where do you find yourself? And maybe it's not money, but is there anything that you can't let go of? That you're not willing to let go of? Is what you're holding on to really worth forfeiting your soul for eternity? It's possible when you've received a new heart from God to let go of those things. A rich young ruler went away sorrowful, and in Luke's gospel, a chapter later, we see Zacchaeus who received a new heart. And Jesus said of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house. He he received a new heart. He was born again. In Mark chapter 3, there was a man with a withered hand. This is actually one of my favorite stories. He was in the synagogue, and and, and I love what Jesus did there because it just shows us where Jesus meets us. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus told the man to Stretch out your hand, which seems like a very messed up request to ask someone to do who has a withered hand. But he does it. And as he's doing it, as he's simultaneously taking that step of faith to extend his withered hand, Jesus meets him in that faith and he's healed. Do you get this picture? There are steps of faith that we are to take where Jesus meets us. And so if you want a new heart, take that step of faith. Ask and start opening up your hands to the things that you're holding on to so tightly. And Jesus meets us there exactly as we are simultaneously doing that. Follow his instructions and he'll meet you wherever those steps of faith may take you. Ask him to show you what you may be holding on to that may be obstructing you from experiencing the fullness of God. I don't have a ton of time, but I I did want to share just my personal testimony in regards to this. Um, We, uh, as a staff, we're about five weeks ahead um, as to what we're going to be doing five weeks from now. And so five weeks ago, or actually six, the, the ministry staff asked if I could share my testimony um, because this is me. That rich young ruler is me. And so I I didn't have time last week and so I decided that I'll share a a little bit of it this week. Um, I definitely was young back then. Um, Rich-wise, I guess it's relative, but uh, I guess relatively, yes. And ruler, yes, I, uh, as in terms of a leader of a church, in terms of leader in my career and things like that, yes. And I thought I was doing the right thing because my parents had lost everything financially. So my goal in life at the time was I'm going to be rich and then I'm going to buy my mom a house and I'm going to take care of her for the rest of her life. So a very noble thing to do. A very honoring my parents, honoring my father thing to do. Very rich young ruler, isn't it so far? In terms of, I followed these things, I can do that. So life is going along, and I'm getting these promotions, and I work for the third largest money manager in the United States at the time, and I'm gaining more responsibility. And I hate my dad, because I blame my dad for a lot of the things that were going on with my family, which Father's Day is in a couple of weeks. So I'm planting seeds right now. I hated him. I was estranged from him for eight years. Never heard from him. All of a sudden, I get a call from him eight years later. Hey, um, Albert, I, I need your help. I wanted so badly to just curse him out, and then hang up the phone. But God held my tongue. I couldn't say anything and then kept the phone at my ear. And I heard him out and he said, I'm going to end up on the streets if I don't get some help. And so I, I need you to either give me money or move in with me. Eight years later. So... 
I don't know, I didn't speak out of my own mouth, but what I said was, I'll pray about it. And then I hung up the phone. And I was like, pray about it? What did you just say? Like, you should have just went the bleeping stuff going on. You know, like, what's, what's this praying about stuff? So I did. I started praying about it. I met with a mentor of mine, a discipler of mine. And he pointed me back to honor your father and mother, which I felt like I was doing. I felt like I was honoring my dad by, like, ignoring him because if I went to him, I would just get mad and say bad things and do whatever. So, like, I'm honoring him. I'm honoring him by just leaving him alone. And he leaves me alone. And so time goes on, and I end up moving in with my dad. I move in with my dad in a one-bedroom place, apartment, and I'm his bunkmate in the bunk bed that I grew up in. And so I'm on the bottom bunk, my dad's on the top bunk, and I'm like, this is not going to help my dating life at all. <laughs> this, is, this, this is not, this not going to work. But slowly, God was working on me and showing me some things, and, and we started talking and uh, started mending some fences, and, and we ended up reconciled. And he's one of my best friends now. And we've traveled, and we've done a bunch of other things. All this time, I'm pursuing riches. I'm working so hard to try to get ahead. I'm working, I'm doing everything I can, and then... My pastor says to me, uh, Albert, I want you to go to pastoral school. And I said, no way. I was like, pastors are broke. I, I don't want to go to pastoral school at all. And so this is my kung fu master who I've been training with for years. And he said, you're not coming to the next practice. You're either going to go home or you're going to go to pastoral school. But you're not welcome here anymore. I'm like, Not even if I paid you. Like, I, I've been giving you money for a long time. But like, no, no, you're not. And I'm like one of his top students. Like, no, you're, you're not allowed here anymore. So you're either going to go to school or you're going to go home, but you're not welcome here. So I ended up going to school. So I went to school, and I only went for like a semester, and the, you had to keep a minimum grade of C. That's what I did. That is so un-Asian of me. It's like... Ridiculous, right? Like, ridiculous. I used to get, the, my mom had a, a, a bamboo stick, you know. If I got a B, I got that. And I would get these welts all over my legs. I love my mother, but, by the way. But that's my mom, right? And so, but when I go to pastoral school, I'm like, I'm just getting C. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to put time into this. This is bogus. I'm not, I don't even want to be here. I just want to finish so I can go back to practice. And so, I'm there, and then God opens up this opportunity uh, for a huge career change in San Francisco where I get to cover like tech companies and biotech companies and, and my salary and bonuses, they increase by a lot, like a ton. Like my, I'm not boasting here at all, but my first bonus check, the first thing I did with it, I bought my mom a Mercedes. Like, mom, here, big red bow on it. Surprise her by going to the dealership. I was like, hey, mom, what do you like? And I was like, hey. It's like, whoa, look at that. That car has a big red bow. You should test drive that. You should really test drive that. Go and test driving. And then we're driving. We're like driving home. And she's like, wait, we, don't we have to take this back? It's like, no, it's yours. I loved it. Rich young ruler, go. Like, go for it. And then this church happened. ruined my life. <laughs> I, was such, I was on a good trajectory. And I met my wife here, and I was working a lot. I was working 60 plus, I was. <laughs> 60 plus hours at least during earnings season, 100 plus hours. So every quarter, 100 plus hours. And then I was putting in time at this ministry, so funny thing at the time, people dress like scrubs back then they weren't like you like you guys are all dressed pretty decent right but back then people were messy they were smelling they were whatever i came in my suit because i came in from work to a midweek bible study frank rivers are you here frank was there 
Frank can tell you how, I'm not making this up, right, Frank? This is all real, right? So I come in my suit Wednesday nights. I come in my suit, uh, 7 o'clock Bible study. Come in, stinks. People are weird. I'm like, God, this is not me. I am proper. And so I'm there, and it's 7 o'clock. And then afterwards, I go back to work because I, I just come back just for Bible study, but I work a lot, so I go back to work, and I work all night long and stuff like that. So every Wednesday is a big sacrifice for me to go to this Bible study. But then I feel God's tug and saying, like, you're going to serve there. Like, and like in Oakland fashion, like just, hella no. Like, <laughs> no. Are you kidding me, Lord? Like I have nothing in common with any of these people. Nothing. But the Lord started working in my heart and, and then I met Katie eventually there and then I knew I need to make a decision because I can't work this job and so demanding and then do ministry well and be married. Like I, I can't do all of it. So Katie and I fasted and prayed about do I go into ministry or do I go into the career path? And I was praying so bad to God, please career. God, please don't, please do not lead me to that. Like, I do not want that. And so Katie and I meet up again and I'm just honest with her. I'm like, yeah, I think the Lord's calling me into ministry. And I'm like hoping Katie would be like, I think he's calling you to the, your career. And then I'm like, oh yeah, 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 let's do that. But she was, she told me like, yeah, that's what I sense too. And I'm like, no, like, Why? So I resigned from that wonderful job that paid me really well, that allowed Katie and I to travel all over Europe. She was living in Spain at the time. I traveled there like every six to eight weeks or so to visit her because we were, had this long distance relationship for like a year. So I'd like just pop in for Thanksgiving, hi, and then bring like a turkey and all this other stuff, right? And so it was, it was wonderful. And then like when we got married, and we got together, and then we went to my apartment. Um, I had nothing. And Tony was there. We used to have groups where we'd meet up, and you, you saw how well furnished my place was, right? It was like wonderful, wasn't it? I had like an air, air thing. Sarah was there too. I, she's just laughing at my place because it was so bachelor. It was so, I had like three plates. Because I ate out every meal. So who, who cares about plates? You're eating out, right? So who cares? Anyway, so I'm there. And then the funny thing is, you know, when I got that transfer to the job and I got paid a lot more, I actually stopped pursuing money at that time. When I got all the blessings financially is when I actually gave all that stuff up and just was like, I'm going to reconcile with my dad uh, I'm not going to pursue those things anymore. And it's actually that time when pastoral school opened up for me. It's actually that time that God blessed me with this job and all those things is when I actually stopped pursuing that stuff. And then the second test came when he said, are you going to let it go? Are you going to let that go or are you going to keep going that place? And I had to reflect back on his faithfulness in terms of saying, you're right, because when I let it go back then and I stopped pursuing is actually when you blessed me with it. And so, even though I don't want to at all, I'm gonna let it go. Now looking back at it, um, as any of the elders here can share with you, I still struggle with materialism and possessions and wanting more, like I still want those things, I still desire those things. I want to provide the best education for my kids, I want to live in a nice place. I want all those things that everybody else wants. But I do realize like God has blessed me so much. Um, I couldn't afford to live here without the generosity of our landlady. She's so generous with us. I'm paying less than half of what she can actually get on the market. And God has blessed us in so many other ways. Like when I was shopping for a car, um, the dealership was going out of business, and that's why I got this killer deal on this car. And it was just all these various things that were happening that allowed us. My kids go to one of the top performing schools in Alameda County. It's a, it's a public charter school. It's free. So 
like I'm just being blessed out of my socks. Like God is still providing all these things. Now I'm not saying that that's what happens because testings and trials are actually what brings us closer to God. So I'm just bracing for that because I just feel like, okay, he's blessed me, he's blessed me. I'm all right. I'm, but whenever that test is ready, I just hope I'm strong enough for it. But I realize that. But in the letting go, I have experienced tremendous blessing. Um, I haven't gone away sorrowful. I do wonder a lot, as, as does Katie, like, what if we just stayed? Like, what if we chose the other path? What would we be doing now? You know, we'd be in Paris. Like, what would we be doing in Oakland? Like, whatever. Well, actually, I like Oakland now, but back then I did not. But we have all these what ifs. And so, as we're closing, here's a couple of questions for us to just reflect on. What are the things that you're holding tightly to? What, what are those false idols? What are those false expectations? What are those false things? And, and secondly, do, do you believe that God's grace is sufficient for you? And so as the worship team comes up and, and, and you take some time to reflect on those questions and deal with some things internally with God as we also prepare our hearts for communion, those communion elements right up here. And for those of you who are, aren't familiar with communion, um, relax. You don't have to feel pressure to come up and partake in this sacrament. But for those of us who are familiar with communion, we realize that this is a time that we are remembering Jesus and what he provides in terms of a communion with God, that he has reconnected us with God and that sinfulness that has separated us, separated us from God, he has brought us back together with him. And so we take that in remembrance, in celebration of that.